Have you ever felt forgotten? Well, Tom Wagner a few years ago sure felt forgotten because he woke up in a plane, dark, and no one was around. So here's the thing. Tom flew from Orlando to Houston. And when he arrived in Houston, he was asleep. And everyone deboarded the plane. The pilots, the stewardess, the stewards, all the people on the plane. And when he woke up, the plane was dark, everyone was gone, and it was locked. Feel like forgotten? He was kind of like, I don't get this. They care about safety and they just leave me here? This is really uh, what we're seeing today in the passage. This is a theme of waiting. That's what Advent is, waiting and longing for Christ to come. And some people we see in scriptures feel like they have been waiting and longing so much that they have been forgotten. And we are going to see a husband and a wife that it could feel like they are forgotten. I should acknowledge something that happens around Christmas time, and some of us might not be aware of this, but some of us are acutely aware of this season. You know, this is a time of presents and family getting together and Christmas songs and joy and all these things, but for some people, Christmas is a very, very difficult time. It reminds people of ones that they have lost and they're not around. It can remind people of a family that they desired and wanted and they do not have. It can make people think, I do not have the resources to give to my kids or to others while others are bountiful of gifts. And what makes it even harder is that people are rejoicing and having fun and sometimes it's even hard to even bring up these feelings and even acknowledge them. It can be a season where people feel forgotten. For some of us, we have become so numb in our longings for things that we have just suppressed it. Prayers that we prayed over and over again that now we don't feel like we can pray much anymore because we don't feel like they're going to be answered. Is there meaning in waiting? Is there a purpose that in those times of waiting, God is doing something in your life? And again, we see in this passage a couple that sits in this period of waiting and longing. A passage that is often overlooked at Christmas time because Luke 2 gets all the play. But we see this passage is so good in leading the way, both figuratively and literally, to the birth of John the Baptist. I'm going to look at the section in three parts. I'm going to read them in the parts. We'll start from verses 5 through 7, and we'll go on with a story. So let's start, shall we? Verses 5 through 7 of Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. 
And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. The word of the Lord. Well, very onset of this story, we see both a very large-scale macro problem, and we see a micro problem. The macro problem we see right away with the setting in the time, in the days of Herod. You have to remember, this is 400 years from the end of the Old Testament, where we saw God speaking through his prophets, through angels, God was clearly working in his people. But then there's been this 400 years of silence. And in this silence, Israel has had it pretty hard. They've kind of been the whipping nation of the nations around. They've been traded hands between the Persians and the Babylonians and the Greeks. And now they're under control of the Romans. And when you hear the word Herod, it probably did not give the warm fuzzies for people in Israel. Here was a puppet, puppet governor put in place in Israel by Rome. And for them, it was a symbol of Romans' oppression over Israel. Even though the temple was rebuilt, even though they were able to practice their own religion, they felt that weight of Israel not being their own nation. And Herod was a symbol of that. And there is hundreds of years of this kind of oppression and wondering, will the Messiah come? There was longing from a macro perspective and probably a sense of, have we been forgotten? At the same time that there's this macro problem, there is this micro problem. We have this couple Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they too have been longing. Longing for a child. And now they're up in years. And it's probably that idea that they would ever have children has just passed them by. This is a common theme if you've read the Bible, the Old Testament, from Abraham and Sarah to the parents of Samson to the parents of Samuel. We see this idea of barrenness is a weight upon people. And what makes this situation even worse is that here we have a priest that's righteous. And good things are not happening to them, they might say. Where is our child? And this might feel very difficult for them. A large-scale problem a small-scale problem. Will prayers be answered? I think it's very fitting for right now, is it not? We have a very large-scale problem in our world right now. A pandemic. And along with this large-scale problem of this pandemic, this worldwide disease, we also have our individual problems that come with this. Some of us are struggling with loneliness. Some of us feel like loneliness isn't the problem. We've been around our kids way too long because they're virtually home all the time. 
The house is crowded. Some of us are feeling the pressures of our jobs because we're having to work at home or it's been very, very different. Some of us feel just the pressure around us that is causing depression among us and anxiety as we see other people just wound up really, really tight. So there's this large-scale problem. and For some of us, it's come down to us individually. I find this the case sometimes. For some of us, we are fine with thinking of God solving the small problems. Oh, my situation epidemic, you might be saying it's not that bad. That when I ask for prayers, God pretty much provides the small things he's good at. But then when we think about how God could work in his world at this great thing, that he could redeem the world, that he could fix the brokenness we see, the political turmoil, the racial tensions, this disease, we lament. And we wonder, is God big enough to fix these things? For some of us, it might be the other way. I'm fine with the idea of God is Savior, He is sovereign, He is good, He is large, He is able to solve the problems of the world. I'm good with that. But if we're really honest, we go, I don't know about this problem in my own life. Yeah, I can talk about theologically God and all these big words like sovereignty and predestination and all these things. And I know the theological maxims that come from confessions and all these things. But when it comes down to me personally, I don't know if God can solve that problem. And this is why this passage, I believe, is so beautiful. Because in this passage, we see God is so great that he can solve large problems and small problems all together. That is the power of our God. Let's see how he does it, shall we? Let's look. Verses 8 through 17. Now, while he, that's Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of pe the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right uh, side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Well, this is pretty amazing thing that's happened. You realize um, Zechariah was a priest, so one week out of the year, priests would come, and they would come to the temple, and they would serve um, cleaning the temple, praying, these different things. They would serve these different tasks, 
And what would happen also is they would draw lots, and the lots came on, keep on coming. Then you get closer and closer. It's kind of a, a dwindling system. You get more and more privileges, the lots. And then the last lot was that you could go into the Holy of Holies. This is where the presence of God was. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat where God sat, and it was covered by a veil, a large, large veil. And the only other person that was allowed in there was the high priest, the once a year, the Day of Atonement. But these other priests, by lot, could go in there to burn incense and bring the prayers of the people. Now, there are 18,000 priests, they say, at that time. And if you got chosen to go into the Holy of Holies as a priest, that was your only chance in your whole lifetime. Now, Zechariah is also increasing in age, and at a certain age, he can no longer serve in this function. So the ability, or the chance, or I'm going to say providence of God, that he was chosen was huge. And you think about it, he might go, okay, maybe life has passed me by on some other things, like having a child, but I got this. I get to go into the Holy of Holies, a huge privilege and responsibility, and go in and intercede as a priest for the people in prayers to the Lord. Oh, was he surprised by what he saw. Here's the thing. Many of us, we think when we read the Bible, there's just angels everywhere. I mean, they just pop up everywhere. You just read a passage, angel, 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 right? And around Christmas time, there's angels everywhere on top of trees. We're like, oh, obviously, the Bible's got angels all the time. No. Okay? The last time we saw an angel was over 400 years ago with Daniel. They just didn't pop up everywhere. Okay? And this is why Zechariah was probably freaked. That this doesn't happen to everyone. And then we see the angel tells him, don't be afraid. And then he gives this kind of monologue to him about this prayer that has been answered. There's a lot of debate about which prayer is answered. Some people argue that the prayer is obviously talking about Zechariah giving the prayers to the people to redeem Israel. And that here is the answer to that prayer, John the Baptist, to prepare the way. So it is an answer of prayer from Zechariah for the people of Israel. Some argue, no, it's not the people of Israel that the prayer is for, but the prayer is for the individual for Zechariah longing for a child. And this is the child that Zechariah and Elizabeth wanted. And here is John. I'm going to make the argument. I'm not the only one that makes the argument. Daryl Bach also makes the argument. That it's not either or. But it's both and. God is answering the prayers of the people. And he's answering the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I just want us to think a little bit about the complexity of Zachariah's situation. 
Here is a man of God, righteous, that has talked about often the faithfulness and coveted promises of God, that gives these kind of thoughts to the people. That is his job. But then internally, what's going on inside of him, he wonders, is God faithful? What has happened to me? Where is my child? Where is the longing of my wife wanting a child? Where is God's faithfulness there? Being patient is one thing. But here is a feeling of I have been forgotten by God. Would you dare think about those things right now in your own life? Prayers about sons or daughters that are far from God, that you wonder if they will come to saving faith, that you've been praying over and over again for that. Prayers for a spouse that maybe you would get married and that longing has not come. That, that longing, the longing is there, but the fruition has not come. Or maybe your desire to have a child. And days like this where we celebrate other children might just bring more pain. Or maybe a job situation where you feel like you've never been in the right job. You've always been in financial constraints. I love St. John of the Cross. Specifically his book, The Dark Night of the Soul. And he starts to answer some of these questions if we are willing to go there. Of our longing for desiring, feeling forgotten. And St. John of the Cross says one thing. He says this, others have been there if you are praying in those kind of ways. You are not alone. At least cling to Zechariah. We see story after story in the Old Testament where people of God, people that are after God, people that love the Lord, they are given hard things. Why God does that to his faithful people, I don't have answers, but for some reason, he wants to refine his sons and daughters. I can give you tons of stories of colleagues and friends of mine that have been dealt very, very hard hands in life. And I go, why, Lord, did you give it to them? And I realize that God is shaping his people. It's one, others have been there. Number two, God is a living relationship. God is not a puppet. He's not a dog. He's not a vending machine. He's not put in the quarters, pull the slot, get what you want. You yell, come here, Fido, and you pet, and you're good. That you just go, oh, God, this is how I want my life to be. That's not the way that God works. Instead, he wants to be in relationship with you. And also, he wants you to realize his very longing to redeem this broken world. That you might identify with his son, Jesus, and his sufferings. And how this world is not the way it's supposed to be. 
That in your longing, in your prayers, you might identify with the very nature of God who wanted this world to be a way, but it has been broken in sin. And you might identify with him and in his sufferings. Lastly, Richard Foster talks about this from St. John of the Cross. That these kind of prayers, that this kind of place of longing and feeling forget, forgotten brings a purifying silence to our hearts. That we start to really deal with the hard questions. God, are you good? Do you really care about me? And we start to really wrestle with these things with the Lord. And in that wrestling, we start to see more fully God's mercy and His love and His care in the way that He is working. I encourage every one of you to read the end of Luke chapter 1 in this time of Advent. And here is a prophecy from Zechariah. And when I read this prophecy that is so rich and talks about God's mercy and love for Israel, you wonder, it took a man like Zechariah who was refined to be able to pray a prayer like this to the people of Israel. Some of the richest people I know that I've learned from the most in life have dealt with some of the hardest things that you would not even imagine. And they have influenced me and shaped me. Maybe those people have done it the same because guess what? Then they're longing for God to come. It has made them rich and deep. That they can pray, pray prayers over me and over us of knowing of God's mercy and his love even in the hardest situations. Oh, but come on. If an angel showed up to me, right? If an angel told me my prayer was going to be answered, I would believe right away. Right? Zechariah will respond the same way. He's righteous, and he's good. He's a rich guy. He's, he's walking with the Lord. Obviously, when the angel came, he responded and said, Amen. It's coming. Right? Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, 
Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What was Zechariah's response? Show me a sign. It wasn't enough to be picked to be in the Holy of Holies, to see the angel of God. That wasn't enough. Sometimes I wonder at this passage, what's the good news that the angel is actually proclaiming? Well, I think the main good news is that a baby would come. But I think the greater good news that John is proclaiming and the book of Luke is proclaiming is this, that even a righteous priest needs to know that there is a Savior for him. That even this righteous Zechariah needed the promise that would come from his son, John the Baptist, who would say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <laughs> so I'd like to picture things in my mind of how it would look. You know, of first of all, there. He's not coming out of the Holy of Holies. They're like, oh, something's going on. And then he comes out, and they're like, well, tell us what's going on. And then you just, is it charades of the first century? Is that what it was? I, angel? What, what is the angel symbol? Is it this halo? I, was that the symbol? What was he doing to communicate what was going on? Behind the humor of him trying to communicate via charades or whatever it might be is the greater kind of thought process here of this, that this guy, Zechariah, had the opportunity, it was one of the greatest responsibilities, to come out of the Holy of Holies and then raise his hands and give a benediction to all the people. To give a blessing. And what is a benediction? What is a blessing? It is a promise of God's faithfulness to the people of his covenant promise, that he would go and he would give that blessing to the people. Do you see the irony? He's not able to give the blessing in the covenant promise to the people. And you know what? It makes sense that they silenced him because he didn't even believe the faithfulness in promise of God. Show me a sign. And you know what the angel says? I'll show you a sign. I will silence you. And I will silence you to pronounce that it is not from you that there will come salvation. But the blessing will come from me, from Christ, from John showing that Jesus would lead the way. We were a year and a half in seminary. We were living on a property. I was working two jobs. One was commuting 45 minutes to working at a church. And the other was on this property. Aaron and I both worked for this couple that were not nice at all. They had all these acres. And we lived there for free to take care of their property. We were basically servants. I, I say that like they treated us that way. We had to wear aprons in their house. And we would serve guests that they had. That's kind of what we did. 
but it got us through seminary, right? That's our life. Well, um, here's what happened a year and a half into seminary. This uh, couple that uh, we lived on their property, they told us they were selling the property, which made us go, great, where are we going to go? And then the church I was working at was going through some financial problems, so there went the money from that job, and so they cut my job. And I remember traveling to and fro seminary, wondering, I still got a year and a half left of this thing. And God, I feel like you've called me to do this. And I, I don't know where the money's coming from. I don't know where we're going to live. I, I don't know how this is going to work. We had, we had just had Ellie. It was a bad time, a hard time. By God's grace, um, we got this very, very large gift. Uh, And it wasn't even because we were communicating what was going on. We just got this large gift from an inheritance. The people that we lived on that property, they said, guess what? We're moving off the property, but you can still live there by yourself. And also, that job was gone at the church. So my, my ministry, I wasn't doing that anymore. And I only had one class. Aaron and I call it the best summer of our lives. Right? No job. Living on this beautiful property. One class. And it was just us. And I remember walking on that property in that beauty and God being like, I silenced you. I silenced you. You doubt my faithfulness. You doubt my promise. You doubt how good I am and what I can do. I show you. I know some of you are skeptics. Oh, great coincidence. Great anecdote to rile me up to say God is providential. He's good. Really? I love Charles Spurgeon's story about an older woman that was praying that had no food. Two robbers had stolen some bread and now they're being chased by the police. And to get rid of the evidence, they threw the bread into her window. And the robbers said to each other, I bet that old woman thought God did that. Is that what you think about your life? I bet someone thinks God did that. Versus thinking God has been faithful in your life. He is true to his promises and he cares for his children. I love this passage, not simply because the story of Zechariah, because it ends not with him, but with Elizabeth. You think about her, and many times she can just be forgotten. What would it have been like for her? She didn't get to go into the Holy of Holies. She didn't get to see the angel. She's the one barren. She's the one that the pressure is put on her, the shame, that the reason they don't have children is because of her. She is feeling that pressure. 
I mean, Zachariah still got his job he gets to go to. What does Elizabeth feel like at home? The Greek is covered in shame to take away my reproach. I love, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. See, Elizabeth is a sign to us all that from her will come the one that prepare the way and that one will take away all of our shame. That many of you that might feel like I have been forgotten, will I ever get out of debt? Will anyone ever love me? Will I ever have a child? Will I ever have a job that I actually love? Will anything happen in my life? And here Elizabeth sings over you and says, Guess what? The Lord has taken your shame. Bernard of Clairvaux says this. Oh my God, deep calls unto deep. The deep of my profound misery calls to the deep of your infinite mercy. Brothers and sisters, Christians, call out with your longing. Give the Lord your prayers. And then come forward and partake in his infinite mercy. Here it is. He has poured it out upon you. He has prepared the way for us in this world. That no matter the pain, no matter the suffering, he has taken on the sin and brokenness from the large scale to the small scale so that we would be redeemed as individuals in the world.